It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. So we're getting a lot of downloads these days, which is nice. Really nice. But not a whole heck of a lot of reviews and ratings. So, reminder to review and rate us. Even if it's a shitty rating at this point, so be it. All right, let's do this. Caller 7 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hi, Nick. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for letting me call in. Thank you. I take it you've listened to the podcast before, so you know the rules? Yes, absolutely. Stay anonymous. Don't tell where I'm from. Nailed it. You can say where you're from, just don't get too specific. But floor's all yours. Tell me about your addiction. All right, man. So uh, I'm calling in from the Gulf Coast of Florida. Um, I grew up, I kind of, from the outside, I had a pretty normal life, um, Girl Scouts, summer camp, all that good stuff. Um, but really behind closed doors, it was a lot different. Um, I really feel like the root cause of any addiction is trauma, whether it be family trauma, um, you know, bullying, sexual trauma, anything like that. And, uh, a lot of the trauma I lived through in my early life led me down the path of drinking and using drugs. Um, I was sexually assaulted when I was much younger, and that really affected my life tremendously. Um, and I feel like that's where my addiction started from. Um, you know, I started a lot of self-harm when I was younger. Um, in high school, I was starving myself. I was cutting myself. Um, and I used that to run away, to get rid of how I was feeling and to try to be a different person. Um, you know, I always went to summer camp and summer camp was always important to me because that was a safe place and that only came around once a year. So when I was there, I was able to live freely with a wild heart, but otherwise I was stuck in myself and stuck in my feelings and I didn't know how to escape that. So um, I turned to drinking and I turned to drug use. Um, you know, I was in college and I am actually a college graduate and that is a big accomplishment for me. And I actually did that in my active addiction. To this day, I still don't know how that was possible, but um, I also suffered a lot of uh, sexual trauma in college as well. And my drinking and drug use just got out of control. Um, I was spending all of my money. I had no money left to live to pay for food. So I just stopped eating because uh, drinking and drugging was more important to me at that point. Um, a little while after that, I actually started prostituting myself so I could get alcohol and so I could get drugs. Um, and that was one of the lowest points of my life. I never imagined, you know, when I was a child that I would be essentially selling myself for alcohol and drugs, but it became my way of life. Um, I sat in my apartment with my friends and I just drank and drugged for many years. Um, I was continuing to starve myself. I was continuing to self-harm and it kind of became the only thing I knew. Um, again, trying to escape myself and it was just a really bad time in my life. 
Um, you know, sex work is not something that's fun. It's not something that is sustainable in life. And that really was, you know, not a turning point, but it was probably as close to rock bottom as humanly possible. But I, you know, I couldn't stop using. Um, I kept, I kept going and it really led me to some serious places. Um, I am very grateful that I have no criminal record. And I'm very surprised about that because a lot of the things I did are really terrible. Um, I stole from my family. I begged them for money. I begged them for resources when I had them, but it all went to doing drugs. Um, my drug of no choice was alcohol and opiates. I was using benzos, um, uh, you know, Percocet, Vicodin, Klonopin, uh Xanax, things the, like that. All the stuff that's fun to mix with booze. Yes, absolutely. Because you feel high and you feel drunk all at the same time. Um, and I say drug of no choice because I didn't have a choice to stop using. Because once you pick up and you use and you become addicted, you can't stop. And it, you don't have a choice but to keep using because that's all you know. And that was really a hard concept for me to accept because I wanted to stop, but I just wasn't able to. And, um, I was in a really bad relationship and, um, I was living with someone, they were racist, um, they were emotionally and mentally abusive and I didn't have any choice but to believe them. And when that fell through, um, uh, my drug use started to get really bad and someone who I thought was my best friend was supplying me with pills from her mother who was doctor shopping. And it was just really easy to get a hold of it. And then it became free to me. So she was my best friend. And I figured, you know, she would never let anything happen to me. So it was a good idea to just get it from her and keep going. Because, again, I didn't know any other way of life. Um, I also doctor shop in my addiction, uh, which means that you go from doctor to doctor and you claim illness, you claim injury. And they just pump you with pills. And I really thought that I was living a great life. I was still going to college. I was still barely working. So I thought that I was functioning as a normal person in society. I thought I was contributing. But really, I was just killing myself. Um, I came to the realization that I knew if I didn't stop using, I was going to die. But I actually didn't care. Um, at some points I wanted to die. At some points I tried to take my own life. Um, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and, uh, anxiety. And when that diagnosis came, I was still using, and I just figured I could also cover that up by continuing to use. It really led me down the wrong path. I got into a new relationship and I really thought I was in love. And all we did was use together. Um, I was losing, I was losing all the money I had. I was begging my parents. And eventually at one point I did become homeless. I lived in my car for a little while. Um, I was couch surfing all other places, but at some point people got tired of me. People got tired of me stealing from them. People got tired of me using in their house. And I didn't have any choice but to live in my car for a little while. I was still going to work, but it was embarrassing to just drive around in my small town knowing that I was going to work and I was driving around essentially in my house. But, uh, Sorry, 
question for you. Most of us, when talking about trauma, we know what it means by definition, the emotional response to an event or a series of events. But that emotional response is different for everyone, depending on the person and depending on the trauma. Absolutely. Are you able to talk about the emotional responses that a survivor of sexual abuse like yourself might experience? Oh, sure. I mean, people that suffer with trauma are living in shame. Um, They're feeling alone. They're feeling confused. They're feeling lost. Uh, There's a lot of stigma still around trauma. And the shame of putting a voice to what you've lived through is very difficult. And it's shameful and it's embarrassing. And a lot of the time there is victim blaming. You know, you should have dressed better. You shouldn't have been using. uh, You shouldn't have gone to such a sketchy place. And that becomes shameful. And we begin to blame ourselves because of that. Um, I blamed myself for a lot of the trauma that I lived through because living through that trauma, it made me feel like a bad person. And I didn't know how to cope with the shame of having to carry so much weight with me. And trauma really is the root cause of addiction. Addiction is a family disease, and a lot of trauma starts in the family. And carrying around that shame just becomes so heavy. And you have no other way to get away from it besides getting high. And getting high takes away from that shame because it numbs you and you no longer have to feel the shame. Um, And again, you, you feel alone. You feel like no one has experienced the same feelings that you have. And you feel like it's your fault. And and carrying around those feelings of being at fault and, and being guilty for having the feelings that you're having because of the trauma lead you to want to get high, to want you to escape. Because when, for me personally, when I became numb, the trauma wasn't there anymore. And when you come down from the high, the trauma comes back. And that causes more trauma because then you feel shame of, you know, needing to use again to escape from it. And the vicious cycle continues. It doesn't stop until you're able to put a voice to it. Um, sexual trauma is very damaging, especially at uh, a young age. And I have a family member who was recently arrested for um, some pretty serious sexual offense crimes. And come to find out, I was actually a survivor of those crimes. And You know, when you're sitting in the feelings of trauma, you feel victimized. But when you're in recovery, you realize that you are a survivor of those and you're no longer a victim. But when you're using and selling yourself, you feel a victim to the trauma because the trauma never ends. And carrying that weight of feeling at fault and guilty, you know, it just becomes too much. And I had to continue getting high. I had to walk the streets and I had to find people who were willing to buy me and use me and trade, trade me for drugs. And that, that guilt and the shame just leads you back to it. It's, uh, it's a really difficult feeling to feel alone in that. And, you know, again, being a survivor, it empowers you and you, you know, you've put a voice to that trauma and then there's no more shame because when you speak about it, the shame goes away very slowly. And each time that you put a voice to it, a little part of it breaks away from you. So you no longer have to carry so much weight with you. 
and using just takes away from that weight. And I'm no longer a victim to that. But in the moment, you are in the victim mentality. And the victim blaming is very serious. And it, yeah, just leads you to keep getting high. And I wasn't able to stop that. I wasn't able to stop the self-harm for myself. So I just, I kept selling myself. Um, I did develop an eating disorder. I actually stopped eating for three months straight. I drank water and I drank soda to sustain myself. And I just told people that I was exercising so they wouldn't have to question me. But really, I was killing myself in a different way than, you know, the typical way that people would take their own lives. I was taking my own life slowly. I was watching myself die. And in the moments, I didn't want to do anything about it. Typically, where were you finding most of your sex work? Was it on the internet? the street, people you were using with? Um, it was people that I was partying with. Um, it was people that I was finding in clubs. Um, it was neighbors down the street. When I didn't have the money, it was kind of like, hey, mister, what can I what can I trade for you know, a couple of pills? What can I trade for a little bit of alcohol? It was really anyone that could get me any substance that I could escape from, so I escape from myself. And... You know, as, as terrible as it sounds, in that moment, I, I felt popular. I felt wanted. And that feeling of, of wanting to be wanted is what caused me to continue going back to it. Because um, it felt easy. I was taking advantage of people and people were taking advantage of me. So it was a vicious cycle and it just kept going. But feeling wanted was one of the most important things for me because Without drugs and without alcohol, I didn't feel wanted. And when I could find someone who was willing to give me that, I, in exchange for, you know, sexual favors or what have you, I felt wanted. And, you know, that was really important for me because I was able to get high. They were able to get off. And it was kind of a win-win for both of us. And... Yeah, I mean, it was never on the internet, nothing like that, but it was just kind of people at the club, people I was partying with, people that were coming over to my apartment who may have had a lot in their stash, and I wanted it, and they wanted something else, and it was like, let's just, let's do the thing, let's go, and then you give me what I want, and then you've gotten what you've wanted. So yeah, it was a, it was a win-win in that scenario. A couple times so far, you've mentioned that you hit a, a real low, but you also said that it wasn't rock bottom just yet. So what was your rock bottom? Um, I had lost everything. I lost my family. I lost my friends. I was borderline going to lose my job. And, you know, I wasn't able to die. And that was my rock bottom when I was realizing that I was trying to kill myself slowly and it wasn't working. Um, I was seeing other people, you know, going to 12-step meetings and they were alive. They were living their lives. They were going out and getting coffee with friends and they were laughing. And that's something that I lacked in my life and it was something that I really wanted. And when you see someone that has what you want, you go after them and you take what you can from their knowledge and you apply it to your life. And, you know, with a lot of work and a lot of courage and a lot of bravery, um, I was able to get there. And what really 
led me to where I am now is one of my best friends from high school died of an opiate overdose in 2017. And that was really serious for me. And even hearing that news and living through that death caused trauma. But I survived it because I talked about it and I've dedicated my life to helping people that are lost like her because I was her once and I was able to get clean. Um, I'm not in a 12-step program. I took a different pathway to recovery. And, you know, I didn't think that I would ever survive. And when I did, I became a survivor. And the trauma, I no longer have to carry it with me because I realized that being a survivor gives you the strength to keep going and to want to help people. And um, I was on MAPs, which has a lot of stigma in the world today. Um, but it was the pathway I chose for recovery, and it was the pathway that I needed to save my own life. MATs, for clarification, medically assisted therapy, and I've never understood the stigma of MAT. People are worried that the medications can be abused. Well, I, I can abuse cough syrup. <laughs> that doesn't mean we don't make it available to those who need it. Yeah. And yeah, some people use it as a legal high, but some people also use it to take their life back. And that was really important to me. And I needed the assistance of that because I knew I couldn't do it alone. And once I got into therapy and I was dealing with the trauma, I finally found people that believed in me. Um, I had a really great therapist and she believed in me and she told me I could do it. And that was kind of, that was a really big turning point for my life. Because she showed me that recovery is possible. I was able to work through my eating disorder. Um, you know, I was able to gain weight and I was able to get healthy again. Um, my liver was shutting down from so much alcohol use. And for the first time in my life, I was actually afraid of that. Um, I wasn't using it as an excuse to end my life. I was, you know, using it now as an inspiration and a catalyst to find my voice in recovery. And that was really important to me. And she made a really big impact on my life. And I have been in long-term recovery for over seven years. And to me, that means that I haven't needed to pick up a drink or a drug to cope with life. And I'm a peer recovery coach for a nonprofit organization. And I coach people in early recovery to help them find their own pathway of recovery. Um, a lot of them suffer from mental illness issues, which I have also suffered with. Now I'm dedicating my life as a peer recovery coach to give hope to just even one person that their life is worth it and they're here for a reason and the universe has a plan for them. And, you know, being in recovery, there are points in my life where I miss the lifestyle. I miss being able to go to the bar. I miss being able to meet random people on the street and just get drugs from them. But then I realized that that really isn't a lifestyle, it's more of a death style. Because all it's going to do is it's just going to kill you. Although I miss the lifestyle sometimes, I realized that, you know, I have a different lifestyle and I have something that's important to me. You know, after drug use and being in recovery, things are okay. And my life's not great. Um, you know, I live, you know, very, very humbly. I don't have a lot of money, but I don't need a lot of money anymore. My bills are paid. I have food in my cupboards. And that says a lot more than where I was 10 years ago. And that's important to me. 
And I, as crazy as it sounds, I'm grateful for being a person in recovery. And I'm grateful for living through all of that trauma because it, it made me the person that I am today. And I wouldn't be this person if that didn't happen to me. And uh, yeah, as crazy as it sounds, I am grateful for, you know, being a person with substance use disorder. And I'm not sure many people will say that, but I truly am grateful. That kind of reminds me of a saying that I've heard in recovery circles. Addicts have an education that nobody can pay for. Yeah. People who are addicts and people who are in recovery have wealths of knowledge that no one else in the general population would ever have. The general population, or I say general population, meaning people who don't have substance use disorder, they, they don't have something that we have. And I'm grateful for living that, as I call it, death style, because, you know, it did give me knowledge and it, it showed me what I can become and if I use again. And it gave me the knowledge of hope and strength and bravery. And I'm able to share that knowledge. And that's one of the coolest things ever is to be able to use my life and to use that invaluable knowledge that I have. And the cycle of addiction is hard to break. But when you find someone absolutely that has that knowledge, you know, and I feel grateful to be one of them. And again, it's like one of the absolute coolest things to have, which is crazy. That sounds absolutely crazy, but it really is such invaluable knowledge and experience and intelligence that we can share with other people. And I never thought that I would be sitting here saying that because I never thought that, you know, being a prostitute would bring me to where I am today and having that knowledge and having that connection that I'm able to reach out to someone who is living through the same thing and sharing words of hope because recovery is about connection. It's about connecting people to resources, connecting people to empathy, connecting people to help and hope. And without connection, us addicts are lost. Do you ever find in recovery you sometimes might almost feel too connected? For me, sometimes I'll see certain types of people that remind me of myself from the past and I'll be thinking, my people, whatever shady shit they're up to, it seems appetizing right now. Absolutely. I mean, I see people all the time, even some of the people that I work with. And, you know, I I still feel triggered sometimes. And absolutely, you know, licking my chops, getting, you know, getting ready. Like I can almost feel that high that that person is feeling. But I know for myself that they are powerless over my thoughts. And sometimes those thoughts come to me. And and you're right, seeing someone, it's like you want to get back into that lifestyle. And sometimes I feel like I'm missing chasing the high, because that's almost the same as getting the high. And I stumble all the time with that, driving around, seeing people buying alcohol. I see drug deals, you know, around the corner at the convenience store. And yeah, sometimes in my thoughts, I trip up on that. And, you know, going back to that lifestyle that us addicts used to live, 
you know, sometimes we glamorize it. And, you know, I used to think that I was thriving in that hustle. And sometimes I want to feel that feeling of thriving again. But I know that if I make a connection with someone that I see who's currently high or or drunk, the you know, the lifestyle goes away and I realize I could be this person with a drink in a paper bag, strung out, you know, no teeth, dirty clothes, no shoes. And then I realized that once I could make that connection with them, that I know that hustle, the feelings go away. But I totally get it. Like that, it is a lifestyle and it becomes your identity. You know, that lifestyle is who you are and it's hard to break away from that. And it's, it's hard to not want to fall back into that lifestyle because you spent so long as having that as your identity. And I really personally, I, I still struggle with it because sometimes I miss that identity. And again, I, I want to go back to that lifestyle quite often, but I reach out and I make that connection with people because once I start losing it is when that lifestyle calls me back. Because I know I could easily fall back into that lifestyle. And I try every day to put a voice to my addiction and to that trauma that I have survived. And it's so important for me. And it kind of like makes a little cartoon, you know, birds above my head that it's just like, it's so cool that I almost feel like I'm floating in the clouds because I'm just like, when I find people who are still using, as much as I'm helping them, they are helping me. And I'm probably getting back more than what I'm giving to them. And people don't realize that. And it comes back to making that connection and making that connection with someone who understands the lifestyle and someone who can just simply say, I understand what you're feeling and it's okay. Let's sit in your feelings right now. And what can we do to get out of them? Well, I, uh, I sincerely appreciate you making this connection with all of us here today. Absolutely. And I hope that someone else can hear this and take that with them and find that connection and find that spark in their life that's still there. Both addicts and sex workers are subjected to oppressive and discriminatory laws, policies, and practices. These policies and practices expose both groups to multiple layers of risk, including violence and criminalization. This caller found herself in an intersection of both those groups and miraculously overcame every single obstacle by, as she said it, putting a voice to her story. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. If you want to anonymously tell your story about addiction, find Addicts in the Dark on Instagram.